you'll turn me in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. All we have left in our study of Ruth is the genealogy at the very end. But we're going to take two weeks to do it. It's going to be so exciting. Here you go. He's in the nursery without a name. Uh-oh. You know, last week uh, I had the privilege of worshiping with uh, some uh, brothers and sisters of Christ. And when we passed the peace, I passed the peace to every person in the church. Kid you not. Including the preacher, the organist, and the four kids in the back that were the nursery in church with us. Twenty. And uh, we had fun passing the peace. It was an amazing deal. But it's great to be able to uh, come back and, and pass the peace with you all. Uh, baptism Sundays are always exciting. Amen. Aren't they always exciting to see them? One of the things I forgot to do is say, we are a family. We stand together. As Greg Holtzauer, one of our elders, came and stood there. Sorry, Greg. I've got to give you a shout out, bro. I know you don't want it. But uh, thank you for representing us. All right. Let's turn to Ruth 1. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found... A needle in a haystack. Have you ever found one? And, and let's say, let's say, if you did find a needle in a haystack, what should be the reward for finding a needle in a haystack? And how would you feel if you found a needle in the haystack and the reward was the needle? Hmm. A couple weeks ago, during a, a study break, I was, had the privilege of digging into 2 Corinthians, trying to outline 2 Corinthians uh, to bring as a, a sermon series. And as I was reading 2 Corinthians in my new Bible, uh, getting toward the end, I, got, I was in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we are an amazing part of 2 Corinthians. It's, it's where Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh and that thorn in the flesh, and he's, he's pleading with God to remove it. It says in verse 9 that, that three times he begs to God at different times, please remove this thorn in the flesh. Have any of you had those prayers, by the way? Pleading with God, please remove this. So I'm reading along, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited and into the story, and I get to the answer. Each time he said, blank. Nothing. They didn't print it. Unbelievable. They, 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 they didn't print what it said. It, it just kind of jumped to say, and so now I'm glad of my weakness. I'm, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I was in such a remote location, I couldn't call him right away. I had to wait till I got to a cell phone. I called the publisher. I'm like, hey, let me tell you, in Second Corinthians 12, uh, you, you forgot a verse. I found the needle. I'm like, well, did you check the footnotes? Like, yes, I know to check the footnotes. I'm an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, do you have the Bible in front of you? No. So I'm not kidding you. Three or four phone calls later, they're like, Pastor Jakes, we forgot the verse. I found the needle in the haystack. I get a new Bible. I'm excited about a new Bible, but come on, shouldn't I get like stock in the company or three free sins or something a little bigger than that? But I got a new Bible coming and I'm going to show it to you when it gets here. I tell you, when it comes to finding a needle in this haystack, it never is Jesus. Jesus is never that needle in the haystack when it comes to scripture. I mean, Jesus, you you know this, I hope. I mean, maybe you're new to God's word. Maybe you haven't been around a lot. But let me tell you, all of scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, all the story, it's really a story of how God rescues us through his son, Jesus. I mean, he is the point of the whole thing. 
It's, it's an amazing story that, that points to God's rescue. It's good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That, that in Christ Jesus, sinners like us, we can be made right with a God who's holy. And when Jesus comes to the earth, he says, I've come to announce this good news. And the good news is, is that there's a kingdom that's come. The kingdom is called the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And I bring it because I'm God. And there's good news that this kingdom of heaven can include you. This king of glory is Jesus. Jesus came as king of kings and lord of lords. And, and the book of Ruth, I mean, the book of Ruth, believe it or not, it's, although it's this four little chapters way back in the Old Testament, it's, it's the story, listen to this, lean into this, this is amazing. It's a story of how God rescues a theme of the Bible. A major theme of the Bible is this, is that God wants to be your king. God is king. God is Lord. And the reality is, is the book of Ruth is the rescue of God is my king. And we're going to show the implications of what it really means for us to have God as our king. Let's pray. Jesus, it's been often asked, who is this king of glory? And some thought maybe this king of glory is just like a needle in a haystack. Does it really matter? Is it really worth finding? But God, we know that we were made for this king, by this king. And until we know this king, until we can say, I know the king of glory, and his name is Jesus, we'll never be able to live. So God, I pray for each one of us that you would open up our hearts, that we would we would know there wouldn't be a person here that would be able to leave here today and not know the answer to who is this king of glory, this Jesus. And not just know him as somebody in the Bible, but know him as king of our lives. Would you come and speak to us, I pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, you should be in Ruth chapter 1 because Ruth chapter 1, you turn back one page and you'll get to the book of Judges. And the book of Judges ends this way, the very last verse in the book of Judges. And most of these scripture verses will come on the screen behind you. So Judges ends, and it says, In those days, Israel had no king. How was it going for a group of people who had no king? Well, it says this, And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. The book, of Gen- uh, the book of Judges ends with this reality that people are just like, if it feels good, do it, you know? I mean, we don't want a king. We don't want a king named God or anybody else. We're just going to live as we please. We're going we're gonna to be our own men and women. We're just going to do what feels right. And the entire book of Judges, interestingly, in the Old Testament, this whole book of Judges, it's like a polemic if, uh, or an argument for a godly king. I mean, you read through the book of Judges and it's like a cycle of failure over and over and over again. God's people keep messing up. They keep doing what's right in their own eyes and God raises up a savior, a judge and rescues them, but they forget about God. And and I tell you, by the end of the book, if you read it closely, you're worn out and you're saying, God, would you please provide a king for these people? I mean, your people don't do well without a king. That's the entire book of Judges, that the cycle of Judges don't need, uh, don't, doesn't work. 
God's people need a godly king. What do, we, what do we need a godly king for? Well, to teach us how to act so we don't just do what's right in our own eyes. To rule over us, to defend us, to represent us. So that's the beginning of the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, if now you're in Ruth 1, you'll see Ruth 1 through 5 will tell you that, that Ruth is during that time. It was during a time where people were just doing what felt right. But amazingly, God raises up a family. He raises up a family who are going to be noble. A Moabite named Ruth, I mean, a virtuous woman, a, a kinsman redeemer, a redeemer named Boaz, an amazing man of God. A, a widow named Naomi. And in a time where everybody else was acting like crazy, we see godly. And we're going to see that through this family, amazingly, a king is coming. I mean, you, you leave the book of Judges and, and you're thinking, man, get us a king. And all of a sudden you're introduced to a family and they got some real big issues of death and barrenness. But through this righteous family, a king is coming. And you know what? Really, the book of Ruth is this. It's a rescue of one family. Why does God care about telling us about one family in the Bible that needs to be rescued? This is incredible good stuff. So you got to lean into this. The family that's going to be rescued is called, ready for this? Elimelech. Elimelech, okay? And you're going to see in chapter 4, you get to verse 10, you're going to find out that the whole point of this rescue, this kinsman redeemer, was that this family wouldn't be lost. And this family called Elimelech, now leading into this, you ready for this? You ready for this? This is incredible. You know what Elimelech means? God is my King, in a time where there was no king, in a time where everyone's acting crazy, Ruth is a story that God's saying, I'm going to rescue a family that's going to remind us, guess what? God is my king. God always wants to be our king. God always wants to reign and rule for us. So God will provide a king through this family. And eventually, this is amazing. Eventually, this family line will produce a king. That's God. Jesus is coming. I mean, he's coming through this family. And so amazingly, that's what this whole story is about. So you get to the genealogy in the back. Now let's go to 4. Chapter 4, verses 17, I'm going to pick up. Through 22, half of 17. If you haven't been here for the book of Ruth, uh, the study of Ruth, let me encourage you. The sermons are online. It's an amazing story. Um, God has transformed my life through this story, and I trust yours. And now we get to the end of the story, and it sounds like it's just like the credits are rolling. But listen, listen, the credits aren't rolling. <laughs> this, this is important stuff. This isn't the stuff you get up for and say, grab your trash, let's go out to the door, is we don't really care about the list of names. These lists of names are really important to us. And he said this, they have a, Ruth has a child and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse. You baby, Jesse, kind of the, you know. And the grandfather of David. Isn't it interesting? The whole point is to get to David. David's king. Oh, yeah, Obed's important. Jesse's important. But David's king. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her, sure her own. And this is, I, I skipped ahead, I'm sorry. This is the genealogical record of the ancestors uh, to Perez. Perez was a father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amabadad. Uh, Amabadad, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. 
Solomon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, who we call king. You know, interesting, this four little chapters is sandwiched between Judges. I just told you what Judges is all about. Now we're going to get to Samuel. So we'll turn, to, turn a page to 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel, Samuel's the last judge of Israel. He's an amazing guy. He, he's kind of like a prophet. He speaks for God. He's a priest of God. And he rules for God. He's kind of like a prophet, priest, and king. And anybody who has those three offices or any of those offices in the Bible, lean into this, is pointing to Jesus. Because Jesus is ultimately our prophet, priest, and king. All right, I know there's a lot of stuff here, but hang in there. And 1 Samuel is, is the anointing of two kings over the nation of Israel. There's two kings that will be anointed. Um, and one is going to be basically uh, uh, one that the people ask for. One wins the Israel idol. The Israel idol is going to take place. They're going to find someone who's good looking, strong, handsome, tall. His name is Saul. He's going to be the people's choice. The people who, by the way, are doing what's right in their own eyes want to pick a king that will be right in their own eyes. They pick a guy named Saul. Not good. Doesn't last long. It wasn't a good deal. Also in 1 Samuel, there's another king that's going to be anointed. His name's David. Remember the book of Ruth all pointed us to David? He's a godly king. He's a king of God's own choosing. But even with David, although he's a godly king and a heart for king, man, he's got a terrible wandering eye. You're going to realize that he's a sinner that needs a savior. And we've got to have better than David, that Jesus is ultimately coming. But in, so 1 Samuel 8, turn with me to 1 Samuel 8. In 1 Samuel 8, you have something interesting. You have the people demanding a king. In 1 Samuel 8, 1, Samuel grew old, this prophet, priest, and king type of figure, a last judge. He appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. But those guys, they were, they were screwballs. They, they, they didn't follow their father. They were greedy for money. They accepted bribes. They perverted justice. It wasn't good. So you get to verse 5, and God's people said, Look, they told Samuel, you're old. And your sons, they're no good. So give us a king to judge us. And look what they say. We want someone like the other nations. Samuel was displeased with their request. request. He went to the Lord for guidance. And God said in verse 7, Do everything they ask of you, the Lord replied. For it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned and followed other gods. And now they're asking, uh, they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about a king that will reign over them. And then he warns them from verses 10 through 17, saying, Any king that you choose apart from God will lead you into slavery. Verse 17, he will demand a tenth of your flocks and he will, and he, uh, and you will be his slaves. When the day comes for you, you will beg for relief from the king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said, and we want a king like the other nations around us, a king who will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, Do as they say, give them a king. And then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. 
Now, you read this and you get a little confused because you want to say, well, is this a bad request? Because it seems like a pretty good request that people were asking for a king. And didn't you just tell me that the whole book of Judges was an argument for a godly king? And didn't you just say the whole book of Ruth is really a saying that God rescues a king? So why does it seem like Samuel and God are ticked that, that they've asked for a king? This is not a bad king uh, request, is it? Is it? And even in the book of Deuteronomy, way before the time of Judges, in Deuteronomy 17, amazingly, God gives prescription of how a king should act with his people. So why is God upset with his people's request for a king? It seems like God always wanted his people to have a king. What's the rub? Well, here's the two things you need to know. The people wanted a king of their own choosing, and they wanted a king to be like the other nations. My brothers and sisters, it has never been God's desire for us to choose who our king, our ultimate ruler should be. He provides that for us. And we know this, right, as God's people, that he doesn't want us to be like the other nations. Never been God's point. Do you know what really is happening here? God in the whole book of Ruth says, God is my king. That's the theme. And you're ready for this? God's people reject it. They say, I don't want God as my king. I want to do what's right in my own eyes. I want to live in a way that it feels good. I just want to do it. I want to find freedom there. This brings us back to Ruth. The whole point of the kinsman redeemer named Boaz, the whole point of that virtuous widow, that Moabite named Ruth, the whole point of that mother-in-law, Naomi, was that they could have a child. They could have an heir. And that child will continue a family line of Elimelech. God is my king. Is God your king? Let's look a little closer. So the book of Ruth is really this. The book of Ruth, the whole theme is God is my king. That's the whole point as we make this landing here. And as we make this landing here about the genealogy, it's all this kingship stuff. And there's three things we need to realize when we realize that God is my king. And they'll come up on the screen for you. One is because God is our king, we should live in submission to him. Live in submission to God as king. Not only is God as our king, we should live on mission for our king. We should be on mission. We are his ambassadors. We have been transformed and redeemed so that we could be instruments of transformation and redeeming the world. So as God is my king, he comes into our lives so we are in submission to him. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be on mission for him. But here's the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing about the language of the gospel. And here's the amazing beauty of a savior named Jesus. Listen, you can't miss this. If you hear nothing else, you cannot miss this. This is what you got to lean into. Submitting to Jesus as king brings freedom. Listen, submitting to Jesus as king brings life and life abundantly, brings joy. It's doing what's right in our own eyes will always bring chaos. It'll always bring bondage. Amazingly, the good news of the gospel is this. God made us to live and submit to a king. And when we submit to that king named Jesus, we really live So God is my king, so we can live in submission to him and not do what is right in our own eyes. 
Do we know that when we do what is right just in our own eyes, it will always lead to chaos and bondage? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Doesn't it kind of feel right that if I do what's right in my own eyes, I'll be free? Think back to the garden, how this started. I mean, Adam and Eve. I mean, they, they had all the garden to choose from. They had all of God's blessing. They said, and, and God said, there's this one forbidden fruit that you can't partake of. But they looked at it and they saw it. And in their own eyes, they made a judgment. That is good. And I'm going to eat it. And I'm going to do what feels right. I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. I'm going to reject God as king. I'm going to live as if I am king. I'm going to reject that I was made in God's image. I'm going to live as if God were made in my image. And I'm going to do what feels right. What happened? Sin. Death. Slavery. It's always been the same. Listen, we were created by God in his image. We were created to find life in him. Doing what's right in our own eyes will always lead to death, will always lead to bondage. Jesus came to earth to rescue us and to show us how we are to live. Jesus, fully God, and yet fully submits to his father. He says, I'm not going to do anything except what the father shows me. As fully man, he submits to God the Father. He says, now this is how to live. This is what a man does. A true man or woman lives to honor God the Father. Jesus not only shows us how to live, but he became our kinsman redeemer. He rescued us by shedding his blood so that we could live now as we were supposed to live to Jesus as king. Jesus came to do a whole lot more than just get us in heaven. We know that, right? I mean, it's not just about an insurance package for our heart stopping. It's to show us how to live. It's to show us how to be free. It's to show us how to have life. It's to take away the shackles of doing what's right in our own eyes. And give us the joy and the privilege of following a God who will show us what's right in his eyes. God is my king, so we don't have to do what's right in our own eyes. God is our king, so we don't have to live like the other nations. You know that Satan loves vanilla? He loves vanilla. God loves Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors. Satan loves vanilla. He wants you, you just like everybody else. He wants the church to have no difference in the world. He wants the believers to be just like everyone else. He wants us to live our lives choosing our own way, choosing our own king, so we'll be like everybody else. You know that Satan loves vanilla. And he would love for us to say, we're going to choose our own. We're going to be like the other nations. We're just going to be just like them. We don't want to stick out. We don't want to be weird. I mean, Jesus freaks. But you know, in Christ, there's two things. There's unity and variety. <laughs> in Christ Jesus, there's unity. He makes us one, but he gives us, he keeps variety. He loves variety. Does God love variety? Have you ever seen the colors in the ocean that no one else sees? Have you ever seen the stars? Have you ever seen the beauty of every tribe, tongue, and nation? God loves variety. But he loves unity, one. What does Satan love? Disharmony and uniformity. Disharmony and uniformity. Satan doesn't want us any different. Why? Listen, 
Jesus is our king. We're called to be different. We are free to be different. We have the privilege of being different. God says, now in Christ Jesus, you are holy. Now in Christ Jesus, we are his. But if, we are, if we're not different, if, if we're not different than the world, if Jesus Christ coming to redeem us and make us new doesn't transform this church, doesn't transform our, our lives, do you know this? We have nothing to leverage. I mean, he's telling us to be salt and light. And the only way we can be is by being radically different than darkness. We have an enemy that would love this church to be benign. We have an enemy that would love your life not to count. And the way he, way he does it, it says, make it just like everyone else. God's people in First Samuel, they said they wanted a king. You ready for this? They said they want a king to do three things. Judge us. Battle for us. Represent us. Let me point you to Jesus. A king who came to judge us so that we wouldn't do what was right in our eyes. Let me tell you about this judge named Jesus. He is holy. He is righteous. But this king named Jesus, are you ready for this? He's not only the judge. You ready for this? He became the judgment. I mean, this king named Jesus would come and he would come to sinners like us and and he would come not just to judge us, but to become our judgment for us. He would become hanging on naked on a cross to become a curse. That's a judge you want to know. That's a judge you want to love. That's a judge you want to live your life for. The one who comes to judge and be the judgment to set us free. Is that not good news? A king to battle for us. I mean, Jesus came to defeat our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy of sin and death. He nailed it to the cross. The resurrection says that no longer does death reign. Life reigns in Christ Jesus. How good is Jesus as our our warrior? He defeated death. I mean, a, a king who will battle for us. The world thought it was foolishness. The world thought it was weakness. The world saw a man hanging naked on a cross and said, we won. And Jesus Christ out says, it's finished. I win. Death has now been defeated. The penalty, the power of sin has been broken. Jesus is our king. And a king who represents us. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now according to scripture? Do you know what he's doing right this very moment? It says that we have a king, a high priest named Jesus, who now lives, not dead, lives to intercede for us to the Father. You ready for this? You know what this means? That right now, Jesus is representing us in heaven. Right now, all your foibles, all your sin, all your mess-ups, Jesus is interceding for. He's reminding the Father of the blood and his righteousness. He lives right now to lift up your name in heaven. He represents you right now. And he gives us the privilege of representing him here. Do you know why kings in the old days before internet and TVs were so egotistical that they put their, their, their image everywhere throughout the land that they reigned. 
that they wanted to know that wherever people went, that they would see the king and they would say, there's the image of the king. The king is the image. And that reminds me that I am under his authority. And that reminds me that that king is providing me protection. I may be far from where the throne is, but I see images of the king everywhere. We are the image of the king. He wants to fill the land with his image. So wherever we go, we see the reign and the rule of King Jesus in our lives, church. In our lives. For those who have come and said, we are going to do what's right in our own eyes. We're going to bow to Jesus. We're going to submit. We're going to live our lives the way he has called us to. As he represents us right this very moment. Right this moment in heaven. We represent him right this very moment on earth. And he says, because you do, I want to tell my love story through you. I've chosen to use broken, wounded jars of clay like you. Don't believe Satan become like everybody else. Don't think that freedom's found in doing what's right in your own eyes. Find life in me. The book of Ruth is the rescue of God is my king. Is God your king? Is Jesus your king? Or do you just do what's right in your own eyes? That will always lead to the hell of bondage. Live in submission to Jesus as king. And that will always, listen, it will always lead to freedom. And use your freedom to serve Others and to serve our great king. How do we know? Is Jesus your king? Well, look at these things. Time, talent, treasures. God will show you if you're serving Jesus as king or not. Are you tithing? I mean, is, is Jesus your king and you're going to trust him and submit to him where he makes it clear that our first fruits and, and that we're to show our love and not to earn anything. We got everything. It's an interesting story. I, I bet you most people here are going to pay their taxes this year. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of you are going to pay your taxes this year. Most of you don't want to hear from the IRS, right? You know, in Jesus' day, he's walking the earth, and, and, and they were looking, the religious folks were always looking to trip him up, and they thought, maybe we'll get him with this tax deal, you know? Maybe we'll get him with the government in Rome, and they're so oppressive. So they, they, threw him a, they threw him a, they thought was a curveball. And you know, Jesus is the best curveball hitter ever. And he nailed those things out of the park all the time. I mean, unbelievable. And they threw him a curveball. He said, hey, is it right to pay taxes? And, and Jesus, in Jesus' style, which is so amazing, he's, he always kind of flips things around. He goes, oh, give me a coin. And like any good ministry, he put it in his pocket and he walked away. And so he said, give me a coin. He said, now, what's on that coin? Now, who's, whose image is that? They said, well, it's Caesar's. And he says something very interesting. You probably know the story. He says, what? Render to Caesars what is Caesars, right? Pay your taxes. You know what he's really saying? You know what he's really saying? You know what he's really saying, don't you? You know what he's saying. Whose image are you? Whose image are you? You're made in the image of God. Are you kidding me? You're made in the image of God. Render to God the things that are God's. That's That's me. We don't give them a token. We give them our lives. We don't give them a token. We give them everything. 
And we realize, listen, we realize as we give him everything, we get everything. We find life and life abundantly, freedom, joy. What an amazing God. Whose image are you? Too many of us are living our lives doing what's right in our own eyes. What areas of your life right now are you doing what's right in your own eyes? Relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend? Financially? Work? Where are you living like there wasn't a king named Jesus in your life? Too many of us are living like other nations. What areas in your life don't look a bit different? Live for the king, not a needle in a haystack. For some of you, you need to ask Jesus to come today, now, to be your king. And to realize that you've been doing it right, trying to do it right in your own eyes. But for many of us, the Holy Spirit's reminding us, there's this area right here. My brothers and sisters, I have good news. When we submit to Jesus as king, in all of our life, It's crazy. Freedom reigns. Life reigns. That's the king named Jesus. Let us pray. Father, it's easier to preach a sermon that Jesus is my king and to live my life if that was a reality. And I know that the world and Satan and his followers would love us to be just like the other nations and would love us to just do what's right in our own eyes. But may we have Jesus as our judge and teach us how to live, the one who became our judgment. May we have Jesus be the one who defends us because he has conquered death. May we have Jesus be the one who represents us because right now he's interceding for us to the Father. And Father, may your Holy Spirit well up inside of us and may we know that you have placed us throughout this kingdom of yours as your images to live in submission to you as king so that we could show the world where life and freedom comes from. Father, for those who don't know Jesus as king, may today be the day where they would bow their knee to you and your authority and embrace Christ as their king. Let them carry away their sins and find a new relationship in Christ. For each one of us, Holy Spirit, do your work in us. You love us perfectly, but God, there's areas that we're living which right in our own eyes, like the other nations. God, come and make us more like Jesus, our King. May we crown him with many crowns in all areas of our life. Amen. Let's stand to sing.